the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Do you realize that we're a, uh, a uniform society? We have uniforms for lots of people, and we can identify people by their uniforms. We can identify uh, their actions, their, uh, their roles that they play in society by the very clothes that they wear. For instance, you know what a soldier does because, or rather, you can, you can identify a soldier because he has a uniform. There's policemen, football players, you know the roles they play because of the uniform. Baseball players, uh, even mailmen, many people have uniforms. Until recently, our teachers at Lakeside Christian School had uniforms. And we are a uniform society, and we identify who we are and what we do by the clothes that we, that we wear, for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. And the Bible teaches that Christians are to have a uniform also. Do you know that? The Bible teaches that they are to dress appropriately. I should say we are to dress appropriately. We're to wear clothes that identify who we are and what we do. And welcome to Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff, the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The walk of the new man, that has been our focus on Verse by Verse. I don't know about you, but I have found this to be helpful and at times convicting. How do people who are not in Christ perceive us? Is it obvious that we have taken off our old garments and put on new ones? Has our behavior and lifestyle been, shall we say, upgraded to match our status of being in Christ? We should not just live differently from our past life without Christ. We should think differently as well. Those are some of the things Pastor Steve will be talking about on today's program of Verse by Verse. And now, here's Pastor Steve. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as Gentiles also walk, or as pagans, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to, over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
do you realize that we're a, uh, a uniform society? We have uniforms for lots of people. And we can identify people by their uniforms. We can identify uh, their actions, their, uh, their roles that they play in society by the very clothes that they wear. For instance, you know what a soldier does because, or rather, you can, you can identify a soldier because he has a uniform. There's policemen, football players, you know the roles they play because of the uniform. Baseball players, uh, even mailmen. Many people have uniforms. Until recently, our teachers at Lakeside Christian School had uniforms. And we are a uniform society, and we identify who we are and what we do by the clothes that we, that we wear, for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. And the Bible teaches that Christians are to have a uniform also. Do you know that? The Bible teaches that they are to dress appropriately. I should say we are to dress appropriately. We're to wear clothes that identify who we are and what we do. Now, I'm not referring to physical uniforms. I was at a seminar once which, uh, which basically propagated that everybody ought to look alike and wear a physical uniform. Uh, you spend a week in that environment and your eyes go batty. And that's what happened to me. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about spiritual clothes. And he's saying that, that the spiritual clothes are the new man. God has given us a new spiritual outfit, and our lifestyle is to match it. That's really what, what the theme of, of Paul is when he's writing this about taking off the old man and putting on the new man. That expression of taking off and putting on is, a, is an expression that's used in the Greek language for taking off one's clothes. It means that, that we are no longer wearing the old clothes of the old man. We are wearing a new set of clothes, and therefore our behavior, our lifestyle, is to be in accord and is to match the new clothes. We used to have an old, smelly, sinful outfit called the old man. We used to have that if we're in Christ, but that's in the past. And when you have that old, smelly outfit, you live like that. You live a lifestyle that reflects that, that's consistent with that. Nobody has a problem with that. If you, you look the part, you act the part. But now, in God's sight, we don't look the part. We don't have the old smelly outfit on anymore. We, we have something else. We have the new man. The new man is righteous. The new man is holy. And therefore, our lifestyle is to be like that. That's really the point that the Apostle Paul is making. And so let's, let's quickly review what we've said before. We've said that, that, first of all, there's a problem that Paul is getting at. And the problem is in verse 17. He says, I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the pagans also walk. Now, he's addressing a problem. Obviously, he's addressing this because it is possible for believers to walk with the old man. It's possible for believers to walk like they're not saved. All of us struggle like that. All of us know Christians like that. You see no change in their lives or there was a change and they fall back into the old sinful habits. And how do they walk? They walk in the futility of their mind. That's the real problem. The pagan walks with, with an aimlessness. He walks without purpose. He walks without direction. His mind is, is filled with things that give him no direction in his life. He is, has a meaningless existence. He tries to get wrapped up. He tries to find meaning in so many different things, but because he's got a mind filled with meaningless things when it comes to eternal matters, therefore he has a life that is basically meaningless. And the problem is, is that Paul is saying that we Christians are not to be like that. We don't walk that way anymore. We have direction. 
We have a standard of the word of God. We have God's revelation. We're not looking for meaning. We already have our meaning. What is our meaning in life? Our purpose in life is to glorify God. And so that's the problem that he says. And because a mind lacks moral, godly direction, it will inevitably lead to a life that lacks moral, godly direction. And so we, we went from the problem to the past walk. And the past walk is found in verses 18 and 19. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. That's the past walk in the mind. Now, what does that lead to? A life of sin. Verse 19, and they having become callous, there is no feeling, they're insensitive to God, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Immorality is big business. It's a trade. People approach it with great zeal. That's the past walk. That's that's the way a pagan walks. In the futility of his mind, which leads to a futile lifestyle which is characterized by sensuality, immorality, greediness, practicing these things, impurity, taking advantage of others and trying to grab hold of things that they don't, uh, that doesn't belong to them. I'm greatly burdened about this because I see so many Christians who are involved in this. I, I guess I'm overly sensitive because I have to do uh, marital counseling with people who ought to know better because I, I hear all kinds of, of wicked things that go on in people's lives that they uh, need to, to tell me somewhat in counseling situations. And I'm greatly burdened about this. In fact, just last Wednesday, I, I gave basically the same message I gave last Sunday night. I gave Wednesday to our, uh, our school chapel because I'm greatly disturbed about this. And I'm greatly disturbed about the younger generation coming up that doesn't see a difference in the way a Christian ought to behave. As I told you last week, all they know is that Christians say they believe this way, but they never see models or rarely do they see models of purity, of holiness, of righteousness in their parents and in society and with Christian leaders. Now, many leaders run off with someone else's wife or you hear this one fell and this one fell. And this is what the younger generation sees. That's why they're so cynical and sarcastic about this. But there has to be a difference There has to be a walk that we call the past walk because we're not to walk this way any longer. And let me say this. The Christians don't need to just live differently. They need to think differently as well. And I think this is this is really the heart of what Paul is saying. That it isn't just that your behavior has changed. It's your whole thinking process has changed. We need to think differently. And too many times when we when we try to counsel or or approach uh, the sinful behavior of a brother or sister in Christ, we really, we really fail. You know why? Let me tell you why. What kind of advice do we usually give when a Christian comes to us and he says he's struggling with sin? Most of the time we give this advice, confess, repent, and change. You say, what's wrong with that? It's nothing. It, it, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it just doesn't go far enough. It falls short. They should confess. They should repent. The word of God calls them to that. But their behavior really won't be transformed unless they think differently. And the reason they have sinful behavior is because they think sinfully. In fact, maybe that's why you struggle with things and you've had a sin problem in an area and you can't seem to have victory over it. And all the time you're trying to have victory over that area of sin when really sin begins in the mind. And that's where you need to deal with. You need to change your thinking process. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
Lawrence Crabb is a well-known Christian psychologist, very good one. He writes in one of his books, as far as uh, counseling goes, he writes this, the problems of resentment, guilt, and anxiety seem to be the three central underlying disorders in all personal problems, and they exist because, now catch this, he says this is why they exist, because we think incorrect thoughts. We believe, this is where it all begins, what we believe, we believe that what God has provided is not best. What God has provided is not best. Whether it's uh, harsh parents, a cold wife, an involving husband, physical illness, whatever, we resent what God has given. When we disobey God in order to seize what he has disallowed, for instance, he says, divorcing a disagreeable spouse, we're in a condition of guilt. When things in our lives are going our way and we're depending on them for our happiness, we worry that tomorrow, tomorrow things may not or may take a turn for the worse, and so we suffer from anxiety. It all begins with wrong thinking about how personal needs are best met. What Dr. Crabb is simply saying is that wrong thinking leads to wrong attitudes and behavior. If you think wrongly about the Lord, if you don't trust that he's a God of goodness and that he's given you everything that's best for you, then it's going to lead to sin. That's where the problem starts, the mind. Now, I think there's a tremendous application for us in this. We must always have the foundation of right thinking before we even move into the area of right behavior. And that is clear throughout Scripture. You know, there are too many Christians who say, do this and do that, and they have a whole list of legalistic rules about do's and don'ts, and they never give people the very basis and heart of why you should do something. Paul didn't do that. When he said a command, he usually gave a fact that that command is to, is to be a result of. We need to do the same thing. Doctrine, content, right thinking leads to right behavior, and the word of God never bypasses that, and we must not too. As a church, we've got to be committed to that. I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to show you some of this. I feel very strongly about this because we, we live in an age where people are so experience-oriented that they would bypass the very revelation of God, and they, they live for that experience. But that experience needs to be based on sound thinking, which is the revealed word of God. First Timothy is a book that, uh, you know it's a book, right? But I didn't finish my, my statement. It is a book that is, uh, that is wrapped around the theme of verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. Our elders were just having a Bible study Thursday night before our meeting and discussing this, and it's fresh in my mind, so let me share it with you. Paul writes, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. He says, I'm writing these things, Timothy. I, I hope to come to you before too long. But in case I'm delayed, I write. Here's the reason I'm writing. Here's the very purpose of this letter. If you want to understand 1 Timothy, this is the heart of it. This is the theme of it. This is the thrust of it. I write so that you, Timothy, may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So 1 Timothy is all about sound conduct, right? I mean, you can see that in black and white. I'm writing so that you might know, so that you might, in, might tell these people how they ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. But you know what's interesting? As you read through 1 Timothy, you see that the emphasis that Paul lays is not so much upon behavior, but upon doctrine, sound doctrine, which leads us to understand that, Timothy, the way that you, that you instruct people how to behave in the household of God 
is that you teach them the truth of the word of God. Let me, let me just show you some emphasis. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's just go through this so you don't just take it for granted that, uh, that I've done my homework. I want you to see it with your own eyes. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, right at the beginning he starts this, as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. First thing you want to do, Timothy, make sure that they're not teaching error. They're going to teach the truth. First thing. Chapter 3, verse 2. I'm just pulling some out. There are more in here. Chapter 3, verse 2. He speaks about the qualifications of an elder and a pastor. And at the end of verse 2, he says, he must be able to teach. Now, this word able to teach does not mean that he needs to be able to stand up uh, from the pulpit and, or, and have the gift of teaching and expound the word of God. You know what it means? He needs to be able when the when the uh, heretics come in and try to confound and confuse the flock, he needs to be able to stand up for the truth and to instruct precious believers in the word of God, maybe one-to-one, maybe a little group of people, and say, this is error and this is true. That's why an elder must know the word of God. It isn't just that he's a good guy. It isn't that he's been in the church for a while. He needs to be able to show what error is and protect the flock by building in the truth. Means he needs to disciple people. Means he needs to be, be instructing the truth. He needs to be apt to teach. Able to, to know. He needs to know the word of God and he needs to be able to, uh, refute the heretics and teach the truth. Doesn't mean he needs to have the gift of teaching. But there he is. Timothy, make sure that when the elders are chosen, these men are men of the word. He's not talking about a gift. He's just talking about the knowledge of the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Chapter 4, verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. Now, we're not, we're not so much interested at this point in the context of what he's saying. I'm just showing that he keeps saying, teach, sound doctrine, prescribe, command, hold forth these things. Chapter 4, verse 16, the beginning. <coughs> Timothy, pay attention to yourself or take heed to yourself and what? And to your teaching. Make sure, Timothy, that you are not just teaching the truth, you are living the truth, but also, Timothy, make sure about your teaching. Remain in sound doctrine. Chapter 5, verse 7. Prescribe these things or keep commanding these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Build in the truth. Invest your life in the truth so that they'll live a life of blamelessness. Chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Honor them. Make sure that's a priority of the church, not so much to honor them, but make sure that there's the word of God going forth in such a way by the elders that some of them are working hard at preaching and teaching. Chapter 6, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. In other words, there's instruction there. Don't just tell them what not to do. Instruct them about the truth, Timothy, verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. What's been entrusted to him? The truth? The word of God? Trust or, or, or guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Verse 21. Which some have professed and have thus gone astray from the faith. So... How do you make sure that the church is, is on target 
with sound living, with proper conduct? How do we know how to conduct ourselves in the, amongst ourselves in the church? Well, you have to have proper thinking first. You have to have the truth built into you. What is the area that Satan attacks most? You know, most of us have this silly saying, not most of us, but, but I should say the secular world has a silly saying, and I hear sometimes Christians say, the devil made me do that. The devil doesn't make us do anything. We do it, but he tempts us to do things. And you know the area that he uses, that he attacks? It's the mind. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Satan attacks the mind. He is the enemy of the mind. He doesn't even bother with the flesh. Why? We'll take care of that. We'll take care of the flesh. He just attacks the mind. Chapter 11, verse 3. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Satan attacks the mind. If he can get a hold of your mind with all the, the garbage of the world, everything else takes care of itself. Then he's got hold of you. You see, First John says he's a liar. Satan is a liar. And lies are directed to the mind. He lies. He twists scripture. He tempted Eve by lying to her. His craftiness. Not only that, but First Timothy, one of the, uh, one of the verses that we did not look at in specifically says this, First Timothy chapter four, verse one, but the spirit ex- explicitly says that in the latter times, some will to fall away from the faith or depart from the pay- faith. Why? They're paying attention to deceitful spirits and what? Doctrines of demons. All error can be traced back to Satan. He perverts the truth. And usually it's in such a subtle way that it's, that it's difficult to tell. That's why God says we're to be discerning. That's why God says we're to know the word of God. Doctrines of demons. That's why the Bible is so, is so judgmental on false teachers and false prophets. And, and Jude, Jude, verse 3 and 4, really hits home on this. Jude was about to write a letter. We assume that Jude was about to sit down and write a letter, something like Romans, a doctrinal letter about our common salvation, because he says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, he said, I was making an effort. I, Jude probably would have penned a great, great letter like Romans. He said, I felt the necessity. I was urged to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. God has given, he's not talking about personal faith now, the body of revelation called the faith, New Testament doctrine. And, and Jude is saying, I, I'm writing now that you might earnestly contend for that new, for those New Testament truths. Why? Verse four, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons. Now, you know that they're going to teach Error, right? You know that already. But because they believe error, their life is going to be marked by sensual sins. Look at the rest of verse 4. These are ungodly persons who what? They turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, into sensuality, into vile impurity, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is they want to sweep you with all of this vileness and garbage as well. So we are to contend for the faith. Why? Because if we don't contend for the faith, then we're going to be swept into error. And if we're swept into error in our thinking, then we're going to be swept into error in our living. So I say this to you and to my own heart. We must never depart from the content of the word of God. 
Even if you go away from here thinking, my, he didn't apply it much today, this morning, tonight. There wasn't much application for me. Listen, by just understanding the very content of Scripture, we are, we are building into you, and building into myself, these great, great truths that will keep us from error. What you think about the Lord and about his word and the truth of his word, even if you can't see its application for you, what you think will affect how you live. I trust you have been encouraged with today's verse by verse. I have appreciated the way Pastor Steve keeps bringing us back to right thinking. I thought it was interesting when Pastor Steve said the area where Satan attacks is in the mind, not our flesh. He attacks our mind. Why? Because our thoughts produce actions. Thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff, pastor of the Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I would like to encourage you to surf over to Verse by Verse Radio and learn more about the ministry of Verse by Verse. There, under the Radio tab, you will find information about the Verse by Verse podcast, as well as archives where you can listen to any messages you may have missed. Please join us tomorrow at this same time for Verse by Verse. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.